This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go. This Tuesday edition of the Bob Olin Show. Uh, we had a cold snap, and now we're getting another warm snap, apparently. Looks like above normal temperatures for the next couple of weeks. Bob, good morning. Well, good morning, Dave. Uh, that very, very interesting forecast, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, from one extreme to another. We had uh, super cold weather there for a while, and now we're back to above normal again. Above normal, and uh, not much snow yet. No. Nope. But... Um, we all know that we have this phenomenon called a reversion to the mean, where we come back mm-hmm. to the averages. I think average, I'll just use uh, Duluth Airport's about 83, 85 to, uh, inches of snow. Yeah. Of course, we're a little above average with 140 last year, <laughs> quite right. a little bit above average. We're about 31 but, uh, inches below average right now. That's what we are, wow. 31 inches below. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting. As a matter of fact, um, Last season was the most uh, irregular season I think I've ever seen. We went from mm. uh, record snowfalls to record drought in May and June when you want some moisture. Now, we had some down in the ground, of course, which was very helpful. We got very, very dry. We hit very droughty conditions for the major part of the growing season. We hit September, and we got record rainfall. So I think that uh, what we're experiencing are some of these uh, uh, very unusual uh, and extremes in both uh, not so much temperature for us, but uh, rainfall and moisture events for sure. Uh, we're going to talk. We've got a program coming up. This We're going to do it a little bit earlier. We're going to do it on March 16th, our spring extravaganza. We are going to dedicate it. I'm going to work with a couple of speakers on on uh, just how we're going to adjust to this uh, interesting weather situation that we're experiencing. Uh, actually... It might work to our benefit because we're not getting the extreme heat. You know, one thing we have up here this far north, we have plenty of light, and light is really the driver of all plant growth, all green plant growth, and we got plenty of that, more than they do a little farther south, being in the northern part here of the uh, northern hemisphere. And um, what has been our limiting factor has been temperatures and the length of our growing season. But that's changing just a little bit now. We're getting nice, moderate daytime temperatures uh, evening temperatures that are not too warm, you want them a little bit cooler because you don't want to deplete the sugars that are produced during the day. And then we're gradually extending our growing season. And as I mentioned, mentioned it once before, but we're also uh, extending our cold hardiness zones. This is U.S. Department of Agriculture that came up with a new uh, plant hardiness zone map in November uh, of this last year, 2023, the previous uh map was done in 2014 and what we've observed is uh, everyone's either stayed the same or they've moved up a half a zone in terms of winter hardiness so winters overall and that's just about absolute temperatures there are other things that go into winter hardiness of plants wind velocity or relative humidity these are two things that are really important as well in terms of getting perennial materials these, these would be trees shrubs and ornamental perennials through the winter Snowfall can also be another factor here. But in terms of just absolute temperatures, we are on average warming up uh, just a little bit or staying the same. So it's kind of interesting what we're going through right now, and we're going to we're going to do a little session on how you might adjust to that, kind of getting the wheels thinking. I'm not sure what's coming this spring. Dave, as you <laughs> mentioned, we're above average right yeah. now. Uh, the last uh, couple of winters, we've, uh, we've gotten off to very slow starts. Or we've had some snow even in early May, and it took a while to dry things out. But this may be the year when uh, we get off to a very early start. 
So I'll show you some of my thoughts just briefly, mm-hmm. how we're going to make uh, some of this climate change work to our advantage. We might want to think about dividing our growing season into three distinct components. Uh, there'd be a spring season. Some plants just really thrive during the cooler uh, and light intense portion of the spring. I think of uh, spinach or leafy green spinach, which is spectacular early. Now it's frost sensitive. So with a crop like that, you've got to uh, be sure you've got some way to cover it if we get that unexpected frost in the spring. You don't want to lose it all, but the quality is certainly there. Uh, lettuce, if it's properly grown and you get it germinated, you might want to start some of it inside and put it outside as a transplant as an example. But uh, that's frost-resistant, and uh, that might also be a good spring crop. Certainly crops like just about all the salad crops, radishes and so forth, really do best under cooler conditions. They don't grow quite as fast. They don't get quite as hot. So there might be uh, some ideas for our spring season. Then our main season, which most of us focus on, of course, and this is where you're going to grow most of your tomatoes. You're going to grow your sweet corn. If, in fact, you're growing that, uh, your beets and and your beans and peas and so forth. Peas might be another early crop that we might want to double crop there, get an early and a mid-season crop. And then uh, it's been kind of remarkable, but we've had an early frost, but then we've had very prolonged growing seasons. This last year was one good example. We really did have that real hard killing freeze into well into uh, November. So it was uh, a very remarkable. We might want to plan again for a, a fall crop, uh, certain crops and, the cauliflower families become uh, very fashionable, very desirable, and actually they're a lot easier to grow for a fall crop than they are for mid-season. We uh, avoid some of the intense heat of the summer, and then we avoid some of the real insect problems. It could be a real nuisance uh, in the summer, particularly if you're going to grow it organically without the use of any pesticides. So the focus is on kind of a fall crop. So these are just a couple of the thoughts we're going to we're going to discuss and talk about at our conference uh, on March 16th in Duluth down at the depot. Just some thoughts, but once again, uh, the warmer conditions, we know what February can bring, don't we, Dave? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it can be intensely cold there, of course, so we're not certainly out of the winter, but we might want to hear our thought processes just a little bit, to getting something in and uh, trying to capture as much out of the growing season as we can, so thinking a little bit about mm-hmm. some of the spring crops coming up. Well, the extended forecast does give us above-normal temperatures for the next two weeks is what they figure in this neck of the woods. So that gets us into February for sure with uh, warmer temps than normal. Warmer temps and hopefully not too warm. Yeah. You know, we are still uh, late January, early February. We don't want some of these uh, uh, buds to start mm-hmm. breaking. I think of the, uh, you know, the flowering buds from an apple and pear trees. Ah, these right. are all set up in the fall. And uh, we want uh, don't want them to uh, break too early where they can be frost damaged. So it'll be kind of interesting going forward. You know, a lot of people like to grow some of the exotic tree fruits, apricots, and so forth. The big problem we typically have with many of these is uh, we can get them through the winter. The, the, the woody portion of the plant will come through the winter. But then we tend to pop the buds, and, and they tend to flower early, and then we have a frost that knocks the blossoms off. Our... Uh, Apples are relatively resistant to this. One reason why they're such a good uh, tree fruit for us, apricots and some of the others are are a little bit more of a challenge uh, because of those late spring, spring frosts. But things definitely changing a bit. Uh, it's going to be very interesting going forward. Uh, this is happening uh, relatively quickly, though we've been discussing it for a while. But uh, I think we're going to have to, we may be one portion of... Uh, 
the country that may actually benefit a bit from uh, the warming conditions that are apparent at this point. But that being said, we're still in a northern climate. We can mm-hmm. still expect the frost at any time. We can expect freezes early and late in the season. Uh, we can expect, I think, uh, rainfall events and probably some droughty conditions as well. We kind of have to be prepared for everything. But on the whole, I think uh, it's going to be good for gardeners uh, this far north, Dave. Uh, we got a question in before uh, we went on the air. Somebody called up from Superior saying that he's got about 200 apples still on his tree. They're brown and frozen, but he's wondering if this is bad for the tree, if he should shake them off or get them off or just leave them alone. You know, that's a real interesting question. I, I think the tree will drop it, particularly as we start pushing mm-hmm. out some of the uh, the new buds for next year. Uh, it's not going to probably affect the energy tree. All the energy went into setting up all that fruit. Yeah. And um, so the energy of the tree is probably not going to be affected. He can probably expect a very light crop this year. He had all that fruit from last year, so mm-hmm. a lot of the energy already went into the fruit. And it sacrificed uh, some of the bud formation for this year. So I would anticipate uh, I would anticipate that he's going to have a lighter crop this year. It wouldn't hurt to knock some of those apples off, but I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, obsess about it, and I certainly wouldn't want to get up on the ladder or do anything <laughs> like that that might put yourself yeah. at risk. Yeah, maybe the shake the tree drop. a little bit and don't get up there and try yeah, and pick sh- it. Yeah, that's right. You could shake it a little bit, drop some <laughs> of it. But uh, the fact that he had so much fruit set from last year and oh. it was retained uh, that that really means that he's going to have uh, a lighter crop this year for sure, Dave. Well, I had a lighter crop last year, so I'm expecting, what, this year would be, be uh, again, larger? Maybe no. Yeah. Be interesting may, to see. Uh, we've shared this. You've got a Harrelson, which is mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. When Honeycrisp was introduced, uh, the Minnesota apple, it went throughout the world, of course, and uh, just a wonderful combination of both Christmas as well as uh, a lot of other great characteristics. Nice and sweet, but nice and crisp, keeps well. It's just a very, very desirable apple. People were saying, well, that's the end of Harrelson, which was one of our most <laughs> desirable apples. And I said, I don't really think so. And Harrelson, you know, was introduced back in the 30s. It's one of those oldies but goodies. It's real interesting with the apple crop. You know that um, we, we don't, apples, not a native tree fruit to Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, far too cold. And it was really a product of some of the early breeders. Uh, Gideon, Peter Gideon was certainly the, the originator of, uh, of some of the newer varieties, but his first introduction was the wealthy, and that was back in uh, about 1860-something. He had named it after his wife, and that is still in the trade today. I've got mm-hmm. one in a, a trial orchard that I'm putting in just so I can show people. I think it's still a desirable apple. Harrelson's kind of becoming that same category where it's, uh, it's been around for a long, long time, and we've got so many new introductions that are very, very nice. I must say that have come along since, but uh, Harrelson's still a very, very good apple. Uh, you've been fortunate. Yours is uh, born fruit just about every year. Yeah, even last year. I mean, it, it was lighter last year, but I still got, must have been 10, 11 bags of apples off the tree. And that may be just about enough, right? Well, yeah, I, more than that is usually more than I can handle, but that's what normally happens is I get a whole bunch of apples. And the interesting thing, uh, about how tall is your, your tree? Do you have to get up on a, a ladder and with a oh, pole yeah. to pull? Oh, uh, yeah, ladder and a pole yeah. to try and reach the top. Right. So you've got uh, a Harrelson that was really grown out on a, mm-hmm. what we call a standard rootstock. So many of these are grafted now to try to bring the height down a little bit. But ah. 
you know, I've got kind of with all the white-tailed deer pressure out there, and <laughs> I was out on a walk last night, got kind of startled by a herd that came through really? after dark, and uh, they were very friendly. Uh, they know that the hunting season's over, and uh, but they kind of startled the herd coming, coming through uh, after sunset. But we have a lot of deer pressure, without a doubt, and uh, if you go to a standard tree like that, even though they can be a challenge to pick, uh, they take longer to get established, mm. but obviously you're going to get above the deer browsing height, and you don't have to worry about right. fencing at, at that point. Uh, it's just, and they're going to, in fact, yield more because you've got a larger tree. So where the trend has always been toward uh, semi-dwarf or even dwarf trees because they're a little easier to manage, they come into fruit a little bit earlier, uh, myself, I, I've gone back to more of the standards. It's going to take a little while longer for that fruit to come in. But nonetheless, you get it above the point where uh, you have to worry about deer browsing, which, of course, is uh, is really a major uh, detriment to a lot of uh, tree fruits in this area. Over the years, I've been trimming the bottom branches anyway just so I can mow underneath without an issue. But, yeah, I've got to mow underneath. And uh, as you see on that top fruit, I think probably the Blue Jays pick off some of that oh, sure. way up on the top. <laughs> so but, you're, you're part of the ecosystem. You're feeding yeah. some of that bird population as well. And you this, get the lower fruit. This is one of what used to be two trees. The other uh, twin died, I don't know, a couple years ago, I think. But uh, this one has uh, never had an issue, so it's going strong. Yeah, t- trees, uh, apples, like uh, like all living things, can be variable. Slight differences in both the genetics as well as I suppose, the, uh, yeah. the location as well. The nice thing, if you're in town and you got neighbors with some apples, is that you don't have to worry so much about having the two trees. The second yeah. tree is usually desirable as a pollinator. We want to kick plenty of pollen out so that we get good fruit set. But for folks that are in town, there are enough trees around that uh, yeah. oftentimes a single tree will do very well for you there. Good to hear. All right, we'll take a first break. It is 931. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. Well, Bob, if you save some of the fruit from those uh, fruit trees of yours. Uh, today is National Pie Day, so you might want to put some of that fruit into a pie crust and enjoy National Pie Day with your homemade well, pie. Well, that, that is good to know, and <laughs> as we all know, particularly if you've got a Harrelson or one of the later apples, yeah. very interesting, some of the very best pie apples, nice firm apples, uh, mm-hmm. like Harrelson, and there are several others that mature very uh, late in the season, maybe not quite as sweet, but they make exceptional pie apples. Uh, table stock apple like Honeycrisp, uh, nice and sweet to eat. Uh, you can actually back off on the sugar just a little bit if you're going to put it in a uh, in a pie. They all work, but yeah. uh, certainly some of the firm uh, late fall apples are some of the very best pie apples. And there's nothing like a homemade pie. I mean, you can buy a <laughs> lot of pies uh, from various outlets. And, uh, well, we might have a couple exceptions. I think of uh, the rustic enough to sure makes an awfully good pie. But nonetheless, uh, making your own, spending a little bit of time doing doing it, working a little bit on a crust recipe, and someone's got a good one, I'm always interested, because that, oh, really? be <laughs> that seems to be my downfall. I want to keep it together and making that crust. Hmm. But nonetheless, uh, you get that, and uh, then the, the apples are pretty uh, pretty simple. Nothing is good, really, as a homemade yeah. apple pie date. I always let Betty, you know, we, Betty Crocker make my crust. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sometimes... Sometimes that works out real well. <laughs> you know, uh, other times I've had experiences there, too, because I do like to make the occasional pie if there's nothing right. like a homemade pie. Yeah. Um, you know, we got uh, a lot of All-American winners. I know people at this particular time are going through their catalogs, whether it be uh, vegetable catalogs or whether it be some of the uh, perennial or the ornamental catalogs that are out there. And uh, 
I certainly have got a desk full of them and uh, always appreciate it. I'm always encouraged when the catalogs come in. I know this is a hobby that's going to be bigger than ever because uh, the full color is bigger than ever. And when we speak of color, uh, and again, I'm going to uh, I'm going to be taking a little look at that at our conference on March 16th. I've called it Color Your World. I'm going to take a look at the science of color. I'm very intrigued by um, uh, some of the uh, antioxidant and some of the other uh, benefits of colored fruits and vegetables, but the breeders have been just uh, uh, kind of uh, overwhelming us with the newer varieties and uh, looking at color. One of the All-American winners this year is one called the broccoli, which is great because we can easily grow broccoli in this area. And um, it's also, broccoli happens to be the most nutritious vegetable. If you're going to pick one and you look at a composite that has the most of everything, uh, maybe not the most vitamin C, maybe there's some that have more vitamin C, some that have more vitamin A, but if we looked at a composite, uh, broccoli is uh, the most nutritious uh, vegetable out there. And uh, we grow it well in this area. Now, uh, we've got a purple variety. We've had purple cauliflower that have caught our attention. We've got purple potatoes that are catching our attention. And this is the antioxidant, the anthocyanin that's in blueberries, and blueberry guys, blueberries got all the attention as a health food, but it's the same pigment that's in so many of these other purple varieties. Now we have a uh, introduction, uh, and it's a national introduction. The All-American Selection Committee uh, has both regional introductions, varieties that grow well in the one part of the country may not grow as well in another part of the country, so they get a regional designation. But this new variety called Purple Magic has a national designation, and it's getting uh, some rave reviews. And from the uh, breeders that have actually selected it in the selection process. So I'm looking forward to trying that. It's always a challenge the first year trying to get some seed. They get all this notoriety, and then uh, takes them a little while to get the seed production up. But Purple Magic is one we definitely want to take a look at. It looks like it has a great deal of, uh, of potential. In that broccoli realm, we had another one called uh, Sky Tree, Sky Tree, which is a Broccoli looks a little bit different. This was a regional winter, which is going to be good for us because it'll grow well in the Midwest. But uh, it's got its florets. These are the flowering heads. Instead of one great big terminal head, mm -hmm. which we would have on uh, a Purple Magic or our standard broccoli, this has got smaller florets that actually grow on stalks, hence the name Sky Tree. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the total yield is going to be. I, it, it's got the, its designation and got its award because of the fact the taste was very good and the, uh, the quality and the t texture was very high. I think most people will take a, a large domed head of broccoli and they'll cut it apart into the florets anyway. So here you get the florets up on a stalk. And uh, that may be one of the reasons why it got uh, this designation. We've had some what we call uh, raw broccoli uh, as well, which grow on stalks like that. Uh, people will claim that they, they have a little bit of better flavor, and this may have been kind of a follow-on to some of these uh, what we call mini, mini broccoli or raw broccoli uh, that don't have the typical dome head. But Sky Tree is one that we're also going to take a look at. We know we can grow it in this area, and we know with all the introductions every year and the breeders both at uh, universities, public and private, where they've got horticulture programs and the major seed suppliers have all got very extensive uh, breeding programs, a lot of folks working to bring uh, the latest and the greatest, and every year we've got something we're going to try. So this year we've got a couple of broccolis that are going to do real well for us, and then we've got uh, a real interesting um, new pepper 
uh, called the Lamoyo pepper. The name is Red Impact, and this is one that uh, does intrigue me. Uh, there's been a lot of interest, again, in the colored peppers. Uh, red Impact, this is obviously going to be red when it's ripe, and it ripens up in about 70 days, so it should be. we should be able to ripen that in this area. So Red Impact is another one that we're going to get in our trials this year. Uh, the Lamoyo peppers uh, for years have gotten a lot of attention because uh, they they really have a very uh, nice, sweet flavor. They're extremely versatile. It's kind of an elongated pepper rather than a bell pepper. But uh, they were always late to mature, and um, the one or two times we tried them, uh, they were just a little bit too late to mature for us this far north. Mm. Peppers are a little bit of a challenge, not to get a green pepper, but we certainly want to get them ripe. It's the color where we get uh, the anthocyanins, and we get the sugar content, we get the flavors, and they become very popular red orange yellow but uh, they're a warm season crop so we've got some techniques and we may spend a little time talking about some of the techniques that we've found that uh, really help us to mature some of these peppers so red impact is another one that we're going to try uh not so much the hot peppers yet although the hot peppers are getting a great deal of attention with this uh, i keep getting hotter too i mean come on wow how hot can we go I'm not sure. We got a breeder down in Carolina. His name is Ed Curry, and uh, he introduced both the California Reaper as yeah. well as this Pepper X, Yikes. which is the hottest pepper. I can't and, eat it. Uh, it's kind of silly to even make it, but oh well. Yeah, it must be some kind of a challenge. And uh, <laughs> are we interesting as humans? They're always up, whether it's going to the moon, going to Mars, one-way <laughs> trips to Mars. I mean, we've got a lot of real interesting, right. interesting things that, that challenge us, and I guess. Uh, Reading the hottest pepper is certainly one of them, even if you can hardly eat it and survive. <laughs> but, uh, oh, boy. You boy. know, Dave, we've got a lot of Scandinavian background in the area, yeah. and we we haven't really uh, focused too much on the hot peppers. For us, the <laughs> hot peppers are jalapeno, and, of course, that's just child's play to right. some of these uh, real pepper eaters. But uh, we might take a look at a few of those peppers. Even the ghost peppers, which people think are hot, are yeah. not at all hot compared to the uh, some of the newer introductions out there. So too hot that's for all me. Kind that's of for fun. Sure, yeah. Too hot for me as well. Oh, yeah. But uh, not not for some folks. Some mm-hmm. folks have evidently either deadened their taste buds or they've cultivated a taste for the heat, one way or another. For all sure. right, Bob, you're going to have so so many new things in your garden this year. Uh, do you have to replace, uh, I guess, old things, or do you have more well, room to add all these extras? You know, like you say, you, you should be uh, cutting dip back on your space, and I tend to open <laughs> it up a little bit, okay. unfortunately. But uh, we, we, we're always going to put in some of the standards. And you know, it's very interesting. There are Boy, I don't know how many new introductions. I'm sure I could put my fingers on 100 yeah. of them this year. And, um, you know, out of all of those, we'll find maybe one or two that really are outstanding and grow well for us in mm-hmm. this area. It's very interesting because plants respond quite a bit differently to temperature and to light. And I uh, years ago, I, I, I put together kind of a standard uh, variety, uh, a vegetable variety package, and I had a colleague down in Hinkley, I had a colleague down on the St. Paul campus of the university, and we, we grew out these standard vegetable varieties, both in the Duluth area, a little farther north, and then in, halfway down the toward the cities in Hinkley, and then down in the Twin Cities, and I thought they might just be a little bit earlier as we move farther south, and turned out uh, they grow quite a bit differently, so I think you want to find varieties that certainly grow well 
in your particular area. And as I'll tell people, the best trial garden is really your own garden. Try some of the, some of the new <laughs> materials, but go back to the standards that have grown best for you. We produce a suggested variety list every year, but it's not all exclusive. Uh, there are so many newer varieties. There are so many varieties that uh, you may favor right. and are favorites in your own garden, Dave. Yeah, well, it's nice of you to try out all these new things and then tell us how they go. So then you can be the guinea pig. I'm the guinea pig. I'm yeah. the one with the big seed bill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got a phone call to get to. Hi, who's this? Hey, Don here from Iron River. Go ahead, Don. Hey, Don. Hey. Nice to hear from you. Carolina River was the hottest pepper. The ghost peppers were the hottest peppers. And now the scorpion peppers are the hottest peppers. <laughs> and the guy who invented crossbred the um, Carolina Reapers has now got something called the X-Pepper. Isn't that fascinating? And I think, has he not also tried that? And I think they might made me a video of uh, uh, how he responded to that. I think it was, uh, I don't know how much hotter you get. Do you know the history? He's tried it for folks, hasn't he? Yeah, um, I'm afraid to try the X-Pepper. <laughs> Are you a pepper grower? Yes. I grew um, seven of the hottest peppers last summer. Ooh. Oh, you you did. Fantastic. Are you, on an aside, because I'd love to talk with you about that, do you grow some of the uh, the sweet colored bell peppers as well? Oh, yes, I do. And what oh. are some of your techniques for getting them to ripen and mature? Well, I got a good break last year. I planted early in May, and we had a long summer and a long fall, so everything ripened nicely. Very nicely, yeah. It's that long fall without a frost, I think, that's really important. And getting early and being ready to protect early. And then the other other technique, uh, do you start your seed in a greenhouse by chance? You must, I'm assuming. I do plants. You do plants, yes, yes. you got to start with a large plant. We really have to push the season. Uh, We grow in a lot of black containers. Uh, I'll grow sometimes off a a southern exposed wall. It's painted white in one garage I have so that I get a little reflected heat. So anything you could do to kind of extend the season and and pick up a little bit more heat uh, is really desirable. But... uh, there are so many good varieties out there, and they're so nice and sweet if you can get them to mature. What did you say, Don? Yeah, I would love to have a greenhouse, but um, I get my stuff, my plants from um, Hardware Hank and Iron River. Okay. Container grown? Correct. Okay, so you're you're growing all these in containers. I think in many ways for peppers that's desirable. Um, we did some trial work and it, uh, on uh uh, several different ways to collect a little heat, and certainly the containers most years, particularly if it's cooler, and I'm assuming these are black containers or containers that heat the uh, soil. So we've got two things with peppers. We've got both soil temperature, which is important, as well as the uh, ambient or the air temperature. And if you're in a uh, container that's black in color and has got good exposure to the southern, uh, southern um, sun, uh, then we get more heat there that gets retained often through the uh, through the evening hours as well. So peppers, it's kind of interesting. Tomatoes, not so much. Uh, soil temperature is not as important as the ambient or the air temperature. With peppers, we've 
observed and determined that soil temperature as well as air temperature are, are going to be two things that are going to be really key to getting a good plant, getting it off early, and then ultimately getting it to mature. Uh, Ed, sometime we'll have to talk, but I'd like you to try this red impact. If I can get my hands on a little seed, uh, that's uh, one of the Lamoyo peppers, which is new to us in this area because they've been later mature. But it's a 70-day, and I think it's one that uh, might do well for you in Iron River as well. Cool. All right. I'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you much for the call. Appreciate it. 947. We'll be right back. All right, here we go again, Bob Olin Show. And, uh, Bob, the question we're waiting to get answered is, where is your Christmas tree now? <laughs> the Christmas tree, I put it out to a nice, comfortable All environment. Right. You got it outside. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yes, indeed. It's, you string uh, a little popcorn on there well. for the birds, too? At at this point, absolutely, and they're, they're appreciating that. So that's great. So that's my my house, my temporary house plants. But uh, speaking <laughs> speaking of house plants, it's pretty interesting how they respond to uh, uh, to this lengthening daylight that we Ooh, have. Right. I've got some new new growth on some that are sitting in some southern windows, and of course that south is so really important, and it's it's very interesting. Even as far north, obviously we see this the uh, sun moving across the southern horizon during the winter, but even during our longest days of the year, uh, we're not overhead. This is in the tropics, so mm-hmm. the southern exposures, when you have to collect heat, uh, whether it be sweet corn or whether it be you're on a try growing watermelons, and you know, all these things I think are probably going to, may open up for us as, as the climate changes a little bit. I'm going to have to take another look at uh, Maybe sweet potatoes as well. I've grown them for several years, but uh, the, the tuber size was a little small. The yields were were low. They're very, very not just frost sensitive, very, very uh, cool temperature sensitive. Oh. They don't like anything below forty. So uh, you got to get them out in June. You're going to plant very late. But uh, so I looked at a number of varieties over a couple of years, and I was successful growing sweet potatoes. But the yields. Were relatively small, so I kind of gave up on that. A crop, the Irish potato, totally different, of course. The sweet mm-hmm. potatoes in the morning, morning glory family, Irish potatoes, uh, a cool season crop for us. But there are uh, there are a number of these crops. We might want to take a little closer look at the melons for sure, and getting some yields. We've always been able to grow a few, but they've been the smaller varieties in the both watermelon and cantaloupe. Cantaloupe again, extremely nutritious. So. I think uh, it's kind of an exciting time for us in some ways. I hate to I hate to say this because I think farther south they're really struggling with intense heat, but uh, here we might have some conditions that are uh, pretty favorable, and we may be able to grow some things that we'd never really have been able to grow too successfully in the past. Including, it's kind of nice to hear uh, Don there from Iron River is uh, very successful with peppers in that location, and he's up in containers and uh, probably collecting some additional heat and. Not too fussy, apparently, about his varieties, although he's planting um, many of them, both hot as well as the uh, the sweet peppers. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun, and I think we're going to kind of focus on that. And people look at the return. Uh, people are well aware that a, a good quality ripe pepper, minimum of a dollar fifty a piece. I've seen them two fifty a piece. So uh, that's that's a very valuable crop for you if you can get it to mature. They're fun to grow. A uh, little bit of a challenge, but uh, we're always working at that and looking for some of the newer introductions there as well as Dave. So that's fun. What I find very interesting is that you're still getting seed catalogs, obviously, and in, in this age of Internet, the catalogs have been disappearing right and left, but apparently seed catalogs still going strong. 
seed catalogs are still going strong, yeah. and uh, I I know it's got to be expensive to print. I know that, <laughs> and the mail and everything else. And yet, I've got a I've got a pile of them in right. front of me as I speak right now. We're looking through everything, and I actually prefer. Yes, we all order off the internet and whatnot, yeah. but uh, I actually prefer those catalogs, flipping through the pages, reading some of the descriptions. It's nice for me. It's nice the midwinter reading day. Maybe that's uh, why they're still around. I think a lot of people probably agree with you. They enjoy paging through and, and looking at all the uh, the plants right there in the catalog. Yeah, we've got, I think that's it. And, uh, you know, these are business people, so right. if it didn't make sense to them, they wouldn't be going to all that expense. Although <laughs> I, I'm i still waiting for a couple, a couple that are trying to push us uh, entirely up on the Internet, and they uh-huh. may be able to because of the varieties, the rather unique varieties that they have. But I'm still waiting for a couple print catalogs. But uh, uh, they've come in, come through in the past, and I think yeah. they probably still will. How uh, is the ordering situation? When do you have to get your order in in order to get them your seeds in time? Well, you know, uh, when we had the, uh, the pandemic there, mm-hmm. and everybody that uh, was stuck at home, uh, the gardening became very, very interesting. The seed became a uh, very short supply. Although... Uh, I'll never knock this free enterprise system. I'm mm-hmm. always amazed at uh, how well it responds. If there's an incentive, a profit to be made, uh, the seed is there. So even in those real difficult years, uh, maybe some of your favorite vendors uh, didn't have seed available. They were just sold out. I know a couple of them just totally shut down all retail. Uh-huh. I know uh, one of them that shut down uh, for a week, and they told that there was a recording there that said, we're just trying to fill orders. And we'll be open a week from now, and I've never seen, <laughs> never seen that before. Wow. But uh, this, uh, the market responds quite nicely, and uh, I think there's going to be abundance of seed. Uh, some of the newer, more unique varieties we're going to have to hustle for. So those are the ones you want to be sure you get an early, uh, early order in for. But uh, for the most part, uh, you know, if you can't get it from one vendor, if you've got a number of different options. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of interesting. We take these things for granted, and uh, I just uh, really enjoy I know, of course, some of the owners of these companies and some of the, the breeders at the wholesale level, and it's always interesting to see what they're working on. But um, we've got a sister city in the Soviet Union, or now Russia. It's no longer the Soviet Union, and uh, Petrozavodsk. And uh, I was not aware, but, uh, you know, there they're really uh, eating for sustenance and uh, kind of like a throwback to the folks that settled this area. That vegetable garden is very important. That apple tree is very important just to sustain yourself through the winter. And um, a lot of these uh, agrarian, uh, agricultural, rural communities in Russia are really dependent on those vegetable gardens, and they don't have access to the uh, the hybrid seed that we have and the the multiple vendors, things we kind of take for granted. Uh, hybrid seed was a very unique uh, introduction for some of these folks, and it really was an eye-opener for me that uh, we are so blessed with so many different opportunities. So what I'm where I'm going with is if you can't find it, get in early <laughs> if you can, particularly if there's something that you really want to get your hands on that's going to be really in demand. Yeah. But uh, there will always be someone out there in this great country that's got some seed for you. It might be a little more expensive, but it's it's going to be there. So that's the uh Good That's to hear. the great thing about this system. You'll right, be we'll able t- to get seed. Yeah. We'll take another break and be right back for the final portion of the Bob Olin Show after this. All righty, Bob Olin, are you there? Hmm. 
Well, uh, we're going to wrap things up, I guess, with Bob Olinger on this Tuesday. Bob will be back next Tuesday for sure uh, during the uh, 9 o'clock hour here on KDAL. Next Tuesday already, the 30th of January, as we're on to the uh, end of the month. Bob Olin Show every Tuesday right here on KDAL. And don't forget, if you miss a show, you can always catch it online. We have podcasts of the Bob Olin Show available for you at kdal610.com. 